Hey guys, welcome back. This is Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 127, Bravery and the Meaning of Life. Now, I've, done a, I've already done an episode on sort of the meaning of life, but uh, the, the idea here is bravery. And I talked a little bit about this in episode 126, uh, Growth and Degrowth, and how, how it takes, it's sort of, it's braver to be selfless and more cowardly to be selfish. Uh, and so I kind of build on those ideas. So I've talked about this in a couple of episodes, the idea that, you know, fear is sort of underneath a lot of what we do. And then we're not really aware of that. Not the least, not the least of the explanations for that is because we don't like to admit that we're afraid, but that sort of is the driving force behind a lot of the things that we do. And something really at the base of a lot of this is something that my buddy Paul Godola said in his book and in some of the interviews that he's done with knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. And that is everything can be sort of reduced to or pinpointed to or attributed to either a act of or cry for love. Right. And I just love that because it's really hard to think about things, especially things that people, other people do or things that happen to you as an individual that generate a emotional response right a lot of those emotional responses as we know today are related to childhood trauma or um, these other things uh, things that have happened to us in the past um that come from either our need to be loved or our need to love you know and it's fun to sort of think about man could you really think about everything you do and you know the higher and more the meaning of a situation the more likely that you can attribute it to you know whether you pick butter pecan or vanilla at the ice cream store, I'm not really sure that comes down to <laughs> a call for love or, or whatever. That's just something that you choose that's kind of silly and arbitrary. But I think when things are meaningful, you really can look at it this way. And of course, the classic example of someone cutting you off in traffic or getting cut off in traffic, um, their reason for doing that and your reason for reacting however you do can sort of be attributed to that. Like, I think... Anger is a very natural feeling, and you might not, if you have some level of initial anger, like, man, that was that was unkind, or that scared me, you know, I think right there, you're, you're kind of, it's a cry for love, right? Your angry reaction to that is based in fear. That could have caused me to be hurt. You have done something that I did not expect. It startled me. It surprised me. Surprises in the past have caused me fear. I, in that moment, am afraid and looking for you know, a, a, a nurturing mother to wrap me in her arms and take care of me, right? That's a call for love, that anger. And if you look at that at the surface, how could you ever even imagine that? You know, I think about um, at, in my sister's soccer league, she plays, uh, my sister, <laughs> my third daughter's plays soccer. She's a, was a, was She'll be a senior in high school next year. And at one of her soccer games, not her game, but in her league, her high school league, some parents got in a fight. And of course I had to, I had to watch it because I was kind of curious just to see how violent this got just, you know, parents at a soccer game that could have happened when I was present, you know, very close to home. And to watch these, mostly these women yelling and these men sort of trying to fight each other um what i saw in there was you know some real anger now is it possible that that anger is really because of 
their differences that they felt on that soccer field because of their children. I think if they thought about it long and hard enough, whatever was happening was not really me, you know, enough to activate them to that level of physicality. You know, my supposition, and this I could be way off base, but just based on what I've learned and my own sort of stalking and introspective action about myself and certainly the other people in the world that I live in, something happened to these people. You know, it's like that Oprah book that she wrote with, the, I think, a psychologist called what, what Happened to You? You know, I don't look at this guy anymore and say, what's wrong with you? What, 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 why is this guy such an idiot? You know, it's more like, what happened to him? What, what level of discomfort was he operating at prior to that moment? You know, because I, I still, you know, if I had been a ecologist, I would, I always planned on part of my life, my long-term lifelong career investigation would have been what I call the cumulative stress hypothesis, which basically means any system, whether that's individual or an ecosystem or a planet, can handle a certain, can integrate a certain level of stress and have no outward change. Right, so no no change in sort of baseline condition, and that it will absorb or integrate or incorporate some amount of stress energy into that system up into a point, and then one little click above that point of the, above that threshold, it can break down uh, completely. But it will sort of again integrate or or internalize a certain amount of energy, and that's the cube. So the cumulate the accumulation of stress is possible up to a point, and then it becomes catastrophic. Instead of it being some gradual change in whatever metric or whatever, it'll just absorb, 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 and then collapse. And I think that's not unique to me. I mean, it's probably called something else, and lots of people have studied it. It's sort of like our blood pH buffering system, right? Our blood needs to be at a very narrow range of pH, and if it falls inside or outside of this, your whole system collapses. And so your body spends a lot of its resources balancing out acids or bases that come in to try to change you know, the pH and it will buffer them, you know, it'll integrate all those changes up into a point beyond which, you know, you die essentially since nothing new, but I think that applies to all levels of organization. Uh, and so what I think is that we, you know, these guys must've been operating right on a daily basis, right below that threshold of emotional strife, whatever you want to call it. And I would imagine, and it makes total sense after Paul said this, that it's not really about anger. It's about sadness, right? It's about those guys needing something and not getting it. I mean, some unmet need is a trauma, right? So they're operating at some maximum, near maximum level of trauma. And then whatever little thing that happens, getting cut off in traffic, getting the wrong order at the drive through window, having another parent wish their team would beat their child's team, just bumps it up above that and results in some catastrophic. To me, that's a, now I see that as an obvious call for love. And it's not about you needing to love in some specific way. Oh, your child is just as good a soccer player. As this. You know, it's, that's not it. It's some other unmet you know, emotional need deep down uh, that that person wasn't getting. And so that's how I, you know, for better or worse, ever since Paul said that, I see the world like this now, or or try to, and because sometimes, believe me, I operate, I get right below that threshold, and something somebody does, you know, like I was at a similar soccer game around similarly activated parents that were screaming sort of obscenities, racial slurs, and just anger at my daughter's team, 
and I'm sort of standing, apparently people segregate themselves based on which team they support. I don't know. I was in the wrong place. And that energy made me very uncomfortable. And part of that discomfort was anger. I was angry because she was making me uncomfortable with the things that she said, or you know, that's my spin on it. But really what was going on is I was already activated. For lots of other reasons I won't get into right now, I get pretty activated at these soccer games. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, it's because I have to see my ex-wife at these things, and it's really just brings back it brings up all that stuff for me and I'm you know I'm at that level but I know that and I and I realize that and I'm not going to or I'm far enough below my own personal threshold that I'm not going to act out um but uh, looking at the world that way makes it a lot easier to forgive right or to 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 sympathize and empathize with this because I don't look at it like this in the superficial way of Wow, what an idiot they value. They think this is how I, how I used to look at it. They think high school soccer is so important that it's worth fighting over. Yet, you know, they'll ignore a homeless person on the street or, or whatever. You know, I could judge all day long, like best of them. I don't see it like that anymore. That is a call for love. Um, and then I guess on the flip side of that, thinking about acts of love, you know, a smiling at another person. Allowing somebody to go in front of you when you know you're on the highway and it all goes down to one lane and you got the assholes in the other lane trying to zip by and get up front, you know, just not not playing that game and leaving space in front of you to let those assholes in, you know, this that's an act of love, right? Um, of simply making eye contact with another person. There's all these small things we can do, and to sort of get to the point here, you know, ultimately our discomfort. I think is about fear, our misbehavior, our deviation from what I refer to as the global value systems and be that the 10 commandments or, you know, the golden rule and its compatriots or whatever. There's, there's some indigenous value system that comes with being alive. And I don't know that humans can ever get there collectively but I think it exists. It's probably the fundamental truth. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I haven't developed that idea yet. But I know that it exists, and I know that the closer we can get to these global values, frees us indiv- as individuals because we start to shed all this other BS related to the rat race and competition and all these other problems that we have as people, and it makes us less ang- anxious and less depressed, and we feel good about ourselves. It's something like enlightenment or nirvana, right? It's or heaven on earth. You know, getting close to this global value system makes us feel better as people and as a species and as a planet. And, and it exists. Um, maybe outside the realm of the unknowable. Maybe the closer we get to it, the less we can discuss it. I, I don't know. Um, but that state is a real thing. And, I, and, as a, and as an individual person, I know I can never get there. But the more I can make an effort to be aware of some universal value system that explains what is right or wrong, what is more an act of love and less a cry for love, the more I resolve those cries, I'm able to do the acts and the less afraid I am. And I really think the root of all evil is fear. I really think that's probably on the top of the list of the oppositional, you know, if you don't 
live your global values, you will experience fear and all of its derivative <laughs> negative emotions, right? Fear is the, the, the low end of the happiness scale of the y-axis. If you watched last week's YouTube video, of course, you couldn't see it on the podcast. It just occurred to me. Um, but yeah, fear is the underlying reason for human misbehavior, right? Okay, that's what I want to get to the title of this episode now that I'm 12 minutes in. The absence, the opposite of fear is bravery because it's not, it's not the opposite, but bravery is recognizing your fear, understanding your fear, and choosing to do, I would say, quote unquote, the right thing or adhere to some um, benevolent global value system instead of another act. You know, there's another scenario that could have happened on that soccer field. I don't know that I'm sure this happens and it probably happened over human history more than it does today where one of those two adults prior to throwing the punches and the wrestling on the ground and the um, mimicking the uh, famous, their favorite wrestlers from their uh, middle school days or whatever. Uh, there is a scenario that rather than a call for love, one of them could have, demonstrated an act of love you know we could have extended the olive branch so to speak and and sort of you know said you know what i'm out of line we don't need to be fighting about this we both we're both fathers we both have daughters on that field you know made it about something cooperative and not about something competitive that could have happened right and to me that would have been like the, the greatest act of love of all. You know, and, and, and I guess the, a challenge to each of us is, can you turn, could you turn a situation into that? And if you can't, or in thinking about it, my first thought is, oh, hell no, I'm way too scared <laughs> to do that. Because the, the least of which, it puts you at the bottom of that bivariate power struggle. You're basically surrendering and inviting defeat, right? The other person could very easily then take advantage of that, of that perceived weakness and hurt you more easily because now you're not even defending yourself, right? And so if a punch were thrown, you're, you're sort of in a submissive position and you could be knocked out or, you know, whatever the play that out however you want or be embarrassed uh, by the other people who would in inevitably laugh at you because they also believe in some ridiculous macho uh, value versus whatever you're trying to do. Uh, and really the, the fear at the root of that, um, you know, is, is first there's the unperceived fear that, that, that is perceived as, as anger, the misperception of your emotional reaction to the other person in whatever argument or fight uh, comes out as anger. And so you think, what do I do with anger? I have to be violent. Uh, instead of going, wait, this is anger. Underneath this anger is fear. Oh, this reminds me of the time that I was bullied on the playground and was called names. And, I, and I'm having the same reaction of this person calling me names. Uh, okay, let me process this and see if I can come up. You know, you, you, no one does that. You know, and I can only do that, see that as a result of over a decade and various therapy, counseling, and coaching endeavors, and the, the material that I read 
mostly coming from psychological research of processing trauma and having reliving my own experiences and thinking about what happened when I was bullied or whatever and putting these things into a more accurate context and sort of understanding my emotions because none of us really understands anger. No, none of us, very few of us, unless you have done some work, unless you have had some trauma and processed it. You know, there's really two types of people in the world, right? People who have tried to understand their traumatic experiences and people who have tried to bury their <laughs> and ignore, you know, in possibly either one of those scenarios, either by choice or not by choice. Um, so I think because I think we've all had meaningful trauma. Certainly, there are varying degrees of intensity and duration and all that, all that. But many fewer of us have chosen to look at that and understand it and re-experience it. And that's bravery. And without bravery, there isn't growth. You know, you'd, <laughs> we look at somebody like Elon Musk or even Donald Trump and we think, wow, what a great life they've had. And sometimes I do this myself. Like I look at somebody who who is extremely confident and has a really high self-esteem. And I think they've had no trauma. Their entire life has been one silver spoon after the next. They were born on third base thinking they hit a triple and nothing bad has happened to them to, to, to suggest to them any different. And therefore they have emerged as being this, you know, special subset of our human population that seems to have no worry. Uh, and, and maybe that's true, or maybe they're just really good at integrating that trauma and maintaining their, their uh, stress level, for lack of a better term, their cumulative stress below some, you know, they've never been pushed above that. Or when they do get pushed above that, they win, right? Whatever, whatever innate behavior, learned behavior they have keeps them in the winning position all the time. And I look at those people and I think they've won life. But in reality, I don't know if any of those people have done what I said before, have faced an integrated trauma, because I don't think that's what a real success looks like. That's what real confidence looks like. And a lot of times, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves or confusing sort of, you know, throw my hands up in the air um, and surrender sort of observations in life is when there are people who... Uh, kind of the Dunning-Kruger effect. That's like they have this undeserved or unwarranted confidence. Like they're overconfident at being a armchair scientist. They think they know everything about some scientific discipline with literally uh, no true understanding of it. And they'll talk to experts. You know, I've seen I've seen this a lot in the scientific field. I'm sure it happens other places. Like when you go into an auto mechanic place and you say well, my car's got this and it's going to need this and you're going to need to look at this. And they think they know what the problem is. And, um, you know, the, if, if you're an auto mechanic, then fix your damn car yourself. Or, or, or the better example is if people go to the doctor and they've all, all done all this internet research and they think they know what's wrong with them. Now, some part of the time, we're all more educated consumers than we used to be, or many of us are. Collectively, we, are more edu we can be more informed consumers than we used to be. I don't know how that really translates. So we do know a little bit about, uh, like when I went and had my gallbladder surgery, by the time I had been diagnosed with the ultrasound, right, as having, I kind of figured between my doctor wife and I that I had a problem with my gallbladder and it would probably needed to be removed. And that's what happened. Now, does that make, make me a genius? No, that's just, you know, pretty good um, detective work. 
but <laughs> this this false confidence thing really blows my mind. But I would I would suggest I would guess. I'm going to stick to that. You know, like many things in this podcast, I did not understand this about this issue and my own opinion of it until I said it out loud five minutes ago. But I think you basically got two types of people walking this earth. Well, all of them have had traumatic experience. Some of them have chosen bravely to face that trauma, process it, and integrate it into them being um, a more successful a, a, a person who has grown, you know, someone who is on the quote-unquote right path towards something like enlightenment of becoming a better human being and doing so, and it was very brave. And then people that, for whatever reason, maybe they're not aware of it, maybe they're scared of it, uh, have chosen not to do that or just haven't done it yet. Uh, but doing that, Again, I would argue is, is is being on the path of truth or wisdom or whatever it is or any anybody who um, ascertains that they are spiritual or religious or seeking enlightenment or, or want to be a better person or, or want to achieve humanity is going to be on a path that requires bravery because we're going to have to do things that are uncomfortable you know the basic model of this i used to tell my students i think we're really lucky uh, and unlucky as humans to have this comfort zone we all have a comfort zone and i actually picture this as being an insulative barrier around our bodies that protects us from the outer world and as we press up against that comfort zone we're alerted emotionally your body tells you it induces fear. It induces discomfort. Maybe you get a little nauseous. Maybe you get a little leery. Maybe you get a little anxious. That's when you're up against your comfort zone. You're entering a situation outside of yourself as an interaction with the outside world that is alerts you that something is is happening that is outside your normal everyday. You know your 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 cumulative stress is building up towards that threshold, and you're getting all kinds of information from the world that that's happening. The cowardly response, and again, no judgment. I've spent 30-some years of my life doing this, is to retreat. It's to accept that as an alarm and a warning and then retreat back to where it's more comfortable. And this means that you are not growing, um, that you are staying safe. And this could be a very life-preserving event. Man, that, that alley's a little dark. I don't know if I should walk that way. I'm going to walk here on this lighted street. That may literally, that decision to stay comfortable and resist your anxiety and fear may have saved your life, right? So it's a very important evolutionary thing that we do. Unfortunately, this happens all the time. Like, well, I ordered a chicken sandwich and they gave me a hamburger, but, you know, I'm not going to say anything because, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. You know, that sort of situation is not going to preserve your life unless there was like some food poisoning in the burger you didn't get or some weird, you know what I mean? Uh, but part of being a human and part of contributing to your species evolution is dealing with that interface of discomfort and, 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 and allowing yourself to experiment 
you know, with the, the feelings that happen there and, and facing them and understanding them. And, you know, this is where I see like the enlightened and the Buddhist monks and the, 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 the Wim Hofs, right. And the Michael Jordans, you know, they, that, that they understand this, that they've been, they've played with this interface of the comfort zone and pushed themselves beyond it. The, um, the you know, the people who have bro- broken the, the, the human speed records and running or cars or this, you know, flying into space, all of these sort of advancements or achievements. And, and some people I think do have um, a disproportionately lower alarm system surrounding their comfort zone. When I used to skateboard all the time, I skated with lots of people that seemed to have no fear. I don't think they had, you know, an, a hurt <laughs> comfort zone. They would just do things seemingly as if they were immortal and, and immune to pain. Uh, and, and some of them were much more immune to pain than me, more resistant to it. And, and they were better. And so there's, there's, there's certainly a, a varying degrees of intensity that, uh, of information we get back from this, this comfort zone. Uh, but I don't think, I think if we continue to elucidate the same Fear-based behaviors. Now, whether we know these are related in fear, you know, these call for love behaviors. If we don't try to move our call for loves into our active loves, we're doing ourselves a disservice as individuals and literally creating more pain for ourselves or minimizing the opportunity for a less painful existence where maximizing we're choosing to maximizing our dukkha our suffering instead of choosing to minimize that and to understand what life can be like with a minimal amount of suffering to ourselves as individuals and to the community and in in real time and to our species you know our ancestral dna evolution came at a huge cost to all the humans that came before us i think there's you know, we're, our population is probably like twice the amount of humans that have ever existed. I can't remember what the stat is, but the billions of people who have existed before us. We stand on the shoulders of those giants who pushed their comfort zones. We are the result of these acts of love and not the beneficiaries of the cry for loves. Ours is not to perpetuate the calls for love. Ours is to perpetuate the acts. And think about that when you're going through your day. I know I know, I will. Now that I see this a little bit differently, it seems a little bit more straightforward, a little bit simpler, a little bit more doable. Um, yeah, thank you for participating. And like I said before, um, your comments, um, your shares, your likes, your reviews of the podcast, those things mean something because... I'm not selling anything. I'm not trying to benefit financially from this. I'm just trying to connect more of these dots. I know there's tons more people out there that think this way and are way smarter than me. And, and I want to learn from you. <laughs> I want to be connected to you in the, in those ways uh, to, to, to form more of a collective. And so I appreciate anything that you can do to, 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 to put this in, in, in front of more people that are in search of it. So... I'm Chris Bircher. This has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, episode 127, Bravery and the Meaning of Life. I'll see you next week. Take it easy.